Hi folks, this is Brian Moriarty, your Nerds on History co-host. On our podcast, we have shared lots of interesting facts, like the fact that George Washington was a cross-dresser and that Thurgood Marshall knew jiu-jitsu. If you find those things insightful and funny, well, have we got a podcast for you. Nerds on Film. It's like the Nerds on History podcast, but with a lot more swear words and no filter whatsoever. Enjoy. And here it is. Check it out. Wow, it really is bigger on the inside. Hey, yeah. you know, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for coming on the episode again. We really appreciate it. And as a special thank you, we can take you anywhere, anytime. Where do you want to go? Oh, wow. That's a good question. You know, I- I'm actually a little thirsty, so do you mind if I just grab something to drink and think about it? Uh, yeah, the uh, the big red flashing scary looking button over there, we're pretty sure that one does pink lemonade. Oh, so uh, feel great. free to fill up. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay, that was... All right, that was clearly not the pink lemonade button. No. Um, should we be concerned? Yes. Oh! All right, uh, well, we've landed, and we're all alive, so that's good. Um, anyone want to go for a walk? Uh, yeah, sure. Looks like Earth. Kind of. A bit more rugged. Yeah. Uh, Clearly in the future. Wait, what does the chronometer say? The chronometer says... 79,811. My God. Wow. Wow. Okay, so we traveled a little bit in the future. Um, I'm sorry. Does anyone else see what I see over to my left? It looks like a horde of six-foot-tall anthropomorphized turkeys. Is anyone else concerned? Well, hold on. Okay, so we're in the future about 70,000 years... Uh, there is a species of anthropomorphized turkeys that have taken over. No, I'm okay. Wait, what's behind it? Ah, that would be a 1,000-foot-tall tofu monster. Wait, is anyone else concerned? Okay, uh, let's recap. Tofu monster, 1,000-foot-tall, species of turkeys that have taken over. No, I'm still okay. Wait, I think it's about to say something. Blah, sad. Ah. I'm concerned. Okay, yes. Um, wait, what are those running up to us now? Does your sonic screwdriver, does it do translating? No, but my universal translator does. Oh, well, what's it say? Oh, well, he said there's a giant tofu monster that's trying to descend on us and destroy my entire species. Awesome. Didn't know that before. Well, anyway, crap, what do we do? Wait, Kate, you're a health person. What's the one thing that can destroy tofu? Joy? Of course. Of course. That makes total sense. Hold on, I've got the perfect thing back in the TARDIS. A double rainbow gun? How did you know? I just had a feeling. Oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> Suck on this! It's it, not working, Eric. It's not. I think it's actually getting pretty pissed off. All right, all right. Um, ah, the pen of unicorns that I have. Hold on, I'll be right back. Nothing can withstand unicorns. He keeps unicorns in the TARDIS? I didn't know. I didn't know, I swear. Go, my minions, Go! <laughs> Go destroy the tofu! Okay, well, all the unicorns are dead. However, I think we weakened it. It might be willing to reason. But we have to give it a bargaining chip. What what do we have? What what, what do we do? What can destroy tofu? I don't think it can. I think it's indestructible. Guys, do you realize what day it is? I think it's Thursday, isn't it? It's November 27th. And we are about 77,000 years in the future. Wait a second. 
Oh my god. It's Hanukkah. And Thanksgiving. It's time to institute Operation Gimmel. Wait, I think the, I think the tofu is talking again. What is it you want? What is it you ask on this night the Hanukkah and Thanksgiving converge? Tofu, we've come to you with an offer that we think you can't refuse. I will be the judge of that. I have in my hand a dreidel, and we would like to spin the dreidel with you. We're going to go for Gimmel. We're putting it all in. A Gimmel, you say? Well, what do I get if, if you lose? If we lose, we'll leave and we'll let you take over this sentient race of turkey. <laughs> calm down, calm down. It's, it's okay. We have a plan. And if you lose, you must leave this planet, never to return. That's a pretty good deal. You All agree? Right. I agree. I agree. All right, Kay. This is your ball game. All right. One spin each. All in. Tofu, you have none. Bummer. All right, guys. You ready? Yeah. All right. Here I go. The spin that will determine the fate of humanity. No, 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 Turkanity. Oh, right. It's Gimmel! Yeah! Yes! Oh, yeah! This is bullshit. I'm blob of my word. I will go. Well, we've done it. We've managed to help this race of six-foot-tall anthropomorphized turkeys defeat a thousand-foot-tall blob of flying tofu that sounds oddly like Marlon Brando. Indeed we did, but you know what? It's still out there somewhere, terrorizing worlds beyond our own. What do we do if it comes back? Well, what kind of games do they play on Passover? Welcome to Nerds on History. I am Eric Brickmont. And I am Brian Moriarty. And uh, with us tonight is a ex- very special guest. Uh, welcome back. Our first repeat guest, actually, on Nerds on History. And the original Uber fan. The number one, Miss Kyla Prince. Take that, Aunt Teresa. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> I'm throwing it down right here on the air. I, you know what this means now. We're going to have to have Aunt Teresa on the show. This is true. And we're, we're going to have a, a, a nerd battle. I, I'm totally down. A nerd off? A nerd off, as one might say. Wow. So you've got the Gimmel thing taken care of. I think, uh, so what's Teresa got? She's got usually an assortment of lovely quilts and sweaters. Mm, I don't know. I don't know if I can compete against that. I will say, though, I'm very proud. Uh, I am the original fan. I listened to the pilot before Nerds on History was Nerds on History, so that's, I got that one going. That's that true. is very true. That's very true. And you were also our first guest on the podcast that ever true. as well. So a lot of other special things that we can associate with this. I feel Let, special. Let's just say that there's enough love for Nerdonomy that, mm-hmm. uh, that we can have multiple number one fans. All right, I'll allow it. Because if we believe in parallel universes and, and universes coexisting beside one another, then this this is this is possible. All right, the logic the logic flies. Well, if everyone's number one and you multiply one by one, by what you still just get one. So. All right, and Teresa, you're off the hook for now. So tell our listeners what have you been up to since you were last on our podcast. Well, I've uh, gotten pretty busy in the uh, podcast world myself, although surprisingly not in the realms of history or theater, which is what I was on your podcast about before. Yeah, now it's 
health-related, really. Yes, very health-related, actually. Um, I have been blogging in the background for the last couple of years on my recovery from an eating disorder, um, which I am pretty pretty candid about on my blog, in my skinny jeans, G-E-N-E-S dot com. Extremely clever, by the way. Thank you very much. I worked very hard on that. You have no idea. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I had started this blog and a lot of people reached out who were telling me that they were kind of struggling with the same thing. Um, Not necessarily eating disorders per se, but maybe disordered relationships with food and exercise. And I had so much fun on the Nerds on History podcast episode, It's a Grabber, if you're going back into the archives, that I started my own podcast. Uh, So I now am currently the co-host of the Finding Our Hunger podcast, which you can find on iTunes and Stitcher Radio for free. And yeah, we meet with a different guest every single week, my uh, co-host Ito Agayare and I, uh, to discuss everything about body image, career identity, um, how to love yourself a little bit more, uh, how to exercise without running yourself into the ground, that kind of thing. So it it appeals to a pretty big audience, and we've been having a lot of fun with it, and we've gotten some really great response so far. So thank you guys for partially uh, inspiring my own podcast journey. And, oh, well, uh, it's our honor, actually. Yeah, I have to say, you are, you're not just clever, but you are as noble as you are clever um, to, to do the, the things that you do and be so open about it and being able to connect with people out there, uh, I think is really quite inspirational. So thank you. Well, thank you guys. And I, I mean, the big thing for me is, you know, the reason I'm so open about it is because so many people can't be. Yeah. And um, one of the things I've noticed is the more open that I am, the more people are willing to open up about it and seek help. So, yeah, you yeah, know, put it out there. Yeah. Exactly. My mission in life really is at this point to give back to women and men who are struggling something I never had. And so I'm becoming a health coach now as well. So That's awesome. And clearly you have found an audience because you've not only gained an audience for your blog and your own podcast, but you've also been a guest on a couple other major health podcasts. I have. Um, Living Livia de Low Carb with Jimmy Moore. Yep. Right? That, that was, was a couple times, actually, right? You've been on once, once or twice? Uh, yeah, I've been on a couple of... Jimmy Moore, ha- he's one of my favorite podcasters. Uh, those of you out there, even if you're not a low-carb eater, um, he's just really fun to listen to some great health podcasts. But yeah, he's got low-carb conversations with Jimmy Moore and friends, and then his official Living Livia de Low Carb podcast. So I've been on that a couple times. And uh, just recently, I was on one called uh, the Keep Health Alive podcast as well. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, <clears throat> And I really, I really enjoy it. So you have been busy, very. <laughs> I don't Extremely, sleep. <laughs> yeah. Well, fantastic. Absolutely well, thank you fantastic. for finding time to fit in you being on our podcast because you're always welcome here. So well, thank you. I... You are the first extended member of the Nerdonomy family. Aw, I feel, I feel all warm and fuzzy. Though that's just the fleece that we provided you. Snuggy. Let's call it what it is. <laughs> <laughs> the Nerdonomy Snuggy. That's right. It's finally made an appearance, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> And it's just as hideous as it sounds. (laughs) Whoever decided to do rainbows and sequins, they deserve a gold star. Yeah, I gotta say, though, the the rainbows and the unicorns and the dreidels all over it, it just looks lovely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the wolf pattern on there, I'm not quite sure how that fits in. Oh, that would be my daughter. She she, she was partially inspiring of that, yes. Yes, indeed. Well, shall we uh, get to some listener feedback? Yes, we should. This week in listener feedback... Well, first of all, we need to owe an apology to all of our listeners who listen to both Nerds on Film and Nerds on History because we had a ton of feedback for Nerds on Film and we totally, like, just unprofessionally forgot to read it at the end of our last episode. So, mea culpa. We will get to that in the next episode. Um, We did get one from Melissa that we also overlooked, so double mea culpa. Okay, Marlon Brando. 
It's a Catholic thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so here's what Melissa says. She's been a longtime listener. Um, she said, hey, I've been listening to your latest episode. Uh, love it as always. Here's something interesting. My father was one of the main players in developing video conferencing for the Air Force. I had no idea until he retired and received a medal for it. When I uh, asked why, he never mentioned it. He just said it was top secret. Makes me wonder what else he worked on. You hear that, folks? Skype, former government project. Pretty awesome. Now owned by Microsoft. Now owned by Microsoft. Dear God. So, yes. um, <laughs> save us all. Yeah, well, you know, the Air Force has had you know, lots of contracts with other companies, like Lockheed Martin um, has done plenty of work for them that <laughs> they can't talk about. A lot of technology that was still considered top secret. One of my best friends who listens to this podcast is a staff sergeant in the Air Force. And uh, he can't tell me half of what he works on, but it's it's very exciting stuff, apparently. All right. <laughs> They're probably just making, like, Cheetos or something. But like, just lasers. lots and lots of Cheetos. But with lasers. With lasers. Indeed. Lasers make everything taste better. Just saying. Particularly Cheetos, which desperately need it. So, yes, lasers. Well, yes, I, uh, I have a, a sergeant tie-in, actually. This one comes from uh, Sergeant John. He's a sergeant in his uh, local uh, sheriff's department. And uh, he heard my request, my plea, for antlers and shirt. And you know what? He's going to send me both. Really? Yes. I am thrilled. I saw this and I immediately responded to it. I don't normally do that, but obviously, well, for one, I had to provide my address. But I was so touched by the fact that he was willing to go ahead and, and, and send this out to me. And, and I am absolutely thrilled. We'll have to post pictures of that to the social media sites once you have those. Uh, absolutely. His local area has both a plenty of deer and local shirt deposits, and uh, he'll be sending that to me, and I am very excited. I can't wait. I know it's going to be kind of the strangest package I've probably ever received in the mail, but you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm concerned. That, you, you Don't be. You, you know me. That's true. Shirt and antlers, it's my thing. That's very true. Uh, anyway, he wanted to thank us for all the great podcasts that we put out with both Nerds on History and Nerds on Film. He gets hours of entertainment, um, and we help keep him awake during his not-so-busy shifts. Uh, and I know I said it in the email before, John, but I just want to say I hope that you have as many uneventful, not-busy shifts as possible. And thank you for your service to your local community. You are fantastic. I admire you and your work. And he has requested that we do a history of law enforcement. And Brian, you and I have talked about that before. So that that's definitely yeah, totally. happening in the 2014. Yeah. Uh, we'll try to get to it in early 2014. So maybe not January, but maybe somewhere in February. I know we've got a couple other shows already kind of slated and planned out for the rest of the year. But uh, we will definitely hit that up. So, John, uh, thank you. I look forward to your antlers. Uh, the next one we have is from Marie. Subject, Gypsies in Sweden. This is actually really interesting. Uh, she says, hi, thanks for the great podcast. When I heard you were going to do your next show about the Romani, I was very pleased. I live in Sweden, and in the last couple weeks, we've had uh, this big scandal revealed. Turns out the police are keeping secret registers of gypsies in our country. Oh, my God. Wow. They claim that this is uh, has nothing to do with their ethnicity, but is uh, simply a criminal register. It just so happens that all the people registered are Romani. Yeah, uh, and most of them have never been suspected of any criminal actions, and some are even newborns or deceased. That's disgusting. Yeah. We are truly shocked and appalled that even in a modern country today, there are these kinds of prejudices not only exist, but are systemized by authorities. Keep up the good work, Marie. You know what? 
I feel really good about that episode. I really do. Like, that was our first time when we were doing something that had a real ethical message. And look at what this is doing. We're uh, raising even more awareness about yeah, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very proud. And, and actually, that, that jumps right into our last piece of listener feedback. Uh, and this comes from Elspeth, who kicked this whole thing off. She It was her listener feedback that got me, uh, got me all riled up and got us to do some additional research and get this going. And uh, she has some, some very nice things to say, in addition to just saying thank you when we posted it on the Facebook page. Uh, she does continue by saying, I knew when I asked that I was asking the right people to talk about the Romani. This is near and dear subject, and it's really hard to find good information about what they've been through. You blew me away, and you had me almost in tears here at work, even when I knew most of what you were saying already. Us non-Romani uh, need to tell the stories that would otherwise not be heard because of prejudice. And now I have yet another thing to spread around to get people to understand. As an aside, a good book for people to read uh, to understand modern Romani culture is Bury Me Standing, The Gypsies and Their Journey by uh, Isabel Fonseca. And you can find it on Amazon. She provided a link for me uh, on here. I can go ahead and put it up on Twitter. It's uh, True Stories and So Beautiful, she says. Uh, also, a minor nitpick. I was pronouncing her name wrong incorrectly. It is Elspeth with a P, not with a B. Pardon me. I apologize. Yes. Uh, she says, thank you again. Really, I cannot thank you enough. So much love, Elspeth. Yeah. And I want to say a thank you real quick to both Trevor and Brett, uh, two recurring listeners who give us consistent feedback all the time. Uh, we won't be sharing yours in the air, but... Let, and you Cam. Know, Cam and, also and gave Cam us as well, yes. Week. Cam yeah. as well. Cam, you always give us really insightful things to share, uh, so thank you. Uh, Brett and Trevor, they gave us some constructive feedback, but we also asked for it on yeah. our social media. And they gave us some legit feedback that we can work on implementing, so hopefully you'll hear some of that tonight. <laughs> Shall we get started? I think that would probably be for the best. Great. So, what's coming up this week, guys? Uh, that would be me going to see the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who in 3D on the 25th. <sighs> it's going to be extraordinary. Yes, that would have been the day before this episode was released. I don't care. It's still within that week. Yeah. Anyone else have an idea for what's happening this week? Kay, anything? I don't get pop culture, so I'm I'm going to tap out on this one. Brian, have you got anything? Okay, Brian. Brian, don't 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 keep hurting yourself. Thanksgiving. This week oh, is Thanksgiving. Oh, right. Thanksgiving. Now the now the cold open makes perfect sense. Is that why you <laughs> I was wondering why it? we were doing that. Yeah, that's oh. kind of why I suggested it. Oh, I see. Okay. Jesus. Well, it's a good thing that we're doing a Thanksgiving podcast then, I suppose. Yeah. Also, that now makes sense. Mm -hmm. I just, it didn't really occur to me. I'm sorry. There you go. Well. I have a stressful life, okay? Sometimes my brain doesn't always work. Good to see we came into this totally prepared. Um, so, <laughs> uh, okay, so, <laughs> obviously we're kidding. Yeah, well, all, uh, all kidding aside, I think that um, this is a, a very... Very well-known time of year. Across the world, even though it is very much an American holiday, it has become very iconic because of all that American literature and television and movies that have spread across the globe. A lot of people are aware of it, but it is obviously a very much an American holiday. And what we're not going to do is talk about the history of Thanksgiving this no, we, time. we did that. We did that. If you're interested, you can catch uh, That is a Sexy Turkey Minus the Kale, part one. And then if you're interested in Thanksgiving-themed movies, that would be part two. Uh, for nerds on film, so just wear your earmuffs for that one, guys. 
Oh, yeah, it's always perverse, and we kind of expect it at this point. I think everyone knows that the explicit badge is well-earned on that podcast. So what we will do is we'll do a quick little recap for those who who don't know. So, uh, I mean, for the <laughs> if you don't know, well, you might need to do more than listen to this podcast. But So the pilgrims came to this country in the 1600s uh, from England because of religious persecution. They came here. They had some struggles. The Native Americans helped them survive a very cold and arduous winter. And in 1621, they had the first Thanksgiving. Right. In uh, which we then proceeded by murdering all the Native people. Yes. Yeah. Which we'll get to next year. Because uh, <laughs> it's really a hard tale. Um, but also, Thanksgiving started to kind of gather throughout the states in the country, and it wasn't actually formalized until the late 1800s. Right. Uh, as the last Thursday in November. The more details, again, you can listen to That's a Sexy Turkey. So, um, now that we're all caught up, Yay! Let's uh, talk about... We thought it would be fun to talk about the history behind the meal itself. Because we talked about it was a very unusual menu that they had. It was. It and, was. And there was all sorts of all sorts of things that, that are actually somewhat characteristic of modern Thanksgiving today. Uh, but there were a few things that were perhaps a bit out of place on the modern table. And we thought, what better people to have in this room than Brian, who's a big old foodie. And we have a nutrition expert who's sitting right next to me to my left. And then we have me who eats, and we thought... Well, Kay's also a food enthusiast, I would say. Absolutely. I spent many years with the Food Network glued to my eyeballs, yes. And as I said, I eat. So therefore, we are the absolute perfect team yeah. uh, to, to go ahead and discuss this today. Though, if Alton Brown were here, he would say we need a nutritional anthropologist. Well, we can't find one, because I think there's only one, and she does his show. So yeah. um, That's somebody who created their major. It, it, yes, and totally, indeed. Um... But we will do our best, okay? And we'll now throw some fun facts at you. So first of all, what I'm really amazed with is that pretty much the Thanksgiving meal is very uniquely American. Like, a lot of the things in there, most of the ingredients are things that you find in North America. Very little of it is what was migrated over from Europe. Right, because lemons would not have been very tasty. So... (laughs) There, no. there wasn't a whole lot that was brought over on the ship, right? No, they had sugar, but the sugar had pretty much been depleted by the time they got to Plymouth. And, you know, there wasn't any rum at the first Thanksgiving, but that's okay. That's yeah. fine. But there was, for those who want to know the quick rundown, of course, there was turkey. That is the one dish that is actually consistent with the original. And I think that's the only one that's consistent with it. Right. There were cranberries, but they were not in a sauced form at this no. time. And they were also mixed with gooseberries and blueberries because those were all regional berries to that part of the country. And by that point, they would not have been bred to be very sweet, so they were probably very tart and eaten sparsely. Mm. Yeah, and they were used for other purposes other than just sauces. The sauces didn't even come until 50 years later. Deer, right? There was a big one. Venison was a very big part More of so it. than turkey. I mean, yeah. there, there's a lot of folks who say now that the turkey and other fowl that was eaten there was probably eaten rather, rather scarcely. It was probably that guy who showed up last. The guy always brings the one dish that, even though it's great... And it just gets kind of lost among all the other stuff. And then eventually somebody gets to a couple pieces of it. I can almost guarantee you that was the turkey. I think I'm channeling history for a moment here. I'm pretty sure that was the turkey. Yes, the turkey. But there was also goose, more than likely, as well. Other forms of fowl that were available. And, I mean, it's a really absurd list. Because, like, we heard lobster was on the list. Um, I'm sure if since they're on the East Coast, um, other kinds of shellfish... Uh, Oysters, I'm sure, were a part of it as well. You think of Thanksgiving, and it's really, it's 
one of the first, it's a potluck is what it really is. Everyone yeah. has what is plentiful and they threw it together and that's what they made their feast out of. And, and there may very well have even been stuffing, uh, but not the kind of stuffing that we think of today. Uh, stuffing has an interesting origin. It actually begins in ancient Rome and, and carries over into, into the Middle Ages. Uh, but you, what you find is uh, essentially our modern stuffing today. That That is a much, much later yeah. invention. I think it's funny because the book that uh, this thing, uh, it was Apicius who uh, developed the recipe for stuffing, uh, is the coconeria. So it's uh, it's referring to how to stuff chicken. And, you know, folks, we're nerds. We'll just laugh at it. The first syllable of that word, we know what it sounds like. Let's just accept it and move on. So anyway, it was clearly it was designed. We knew that they found that the cavity in roasting birds was one that was good for stuffing. So yeah, why not use the space, right? I exactly. Mean, let's fill up some herbs and all sorts of other great tasting things and, and let it just kind of fill up the bird. There are tons of advantages. One, flavor. Right. But also efficiency, right? Because you're now cooking two things in one space. So therefore, you're doubling your money, essentially. Uh, you find uh, that the modern stuffing, however, which is usually bread-based stuffing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is something that is that has not really been around for very long. In, in fact, fact, less than 100 years. Yeah, far less than that. In fact, the, the, the point where it became actually commonplace was in 1971. Yeah, commonplace. That's when Kraft went ahead and decided they were going to release stovetop stuffing. Yes. And that's when people started actually really doing Well, let's dial it back for a second, because Kraft capitalized on what was already existing, which is Mrs. Cubison's. Mrs. Cubison's was on the East Coast. She was known for making Melba toast, dehydrated and toasted bread. I don't know why, but it was a, it was a profitable business for her. Someone from the East Coast, please enlighten me as to why Melba Toast was so good. Um, she decided to take old crumbs of it and work that into her traditional non-breaded stuffing, and it was a tremendous success, and pretty much it was an overnight sensation. Thank you, Food Network. Yeah, only Brian <laughs> in this room would know that. And that's, and that's, sir, that is why I love you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Clearly, I've had too much stuffing, because... <laughs> So that's okay. We're all a bit stuffed. Um, what I will say is that um, some of those trademarks that you, you, you think of in the modern uh, Thanksgiving dinner, like potatoes, for example, nowhere near that first meal. Potatoes and sweet potatoes, yams, right? Those are all transplants that come in a bit later. Yeah, those so, were all in South America. And they had certainly been trading at this point because the trade had happened in the late 1500s. Yeah, it wasn't until about, well, actually, it wasn't until really about 1889 or so when you actually found, like, sweet potatoes, actual kind yeah, of candy Round-tripping their potatoes. way back over to North America. Yeah. Because they were, they had made their, the yams had been in existence, I believe. They had made their way over to Africa at some point, And they had also uh, made, definitely become a staple in Europe. But uh, not over, not quite over in the United States yet. Yes, but uh, sweet potatoes with marshmallows. Uh, actually, nineteen seventeen. Nineteen seventeen, and uh, honest, obviously, because I mean, it lives up to its name. If you roast it, it is pretty tasty. Um, people have turned it into more sweet and spicy kind of things. Not unlike what they would do with Indian pudding, actually, because sweet potatoes and pumpkin pie both kind of derive their flavor profiles from Indian pudding. Um, and I, I would be lying if I said I knew what the base of Indian pudding is made out of, but it uses a lot of the same cinnamon, nutmeg kind of combinations. Yeah, we can actually even thank the existence of sweet potato pie due to Thanksgiving, because it was actually not uncommon for people in the American South to substitute uh, pumpkins with sweet potatoes. 
and in doing so, creating essentially sweet potato pie in and around this holiday. So yeah. we, we even owe that existence to Totally. It, and actually, it probably is a little bit, I mean, not that any pie is going to really be good for you, but it probably is a little bit more nutritional for you because of the properties of it. Um, I'm going to let that one slide. Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, obviously, you're getting a ton of sugar in there, so that's not necessarily good for you, but... Sweet potatoes, correct me if I'm wrong, have mm-hmm. a lot of good nutrients in them that would be better for you than the normal white potato. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a it's a good starch if you're if you're looking for a good starchy carb to consume. I just would not fill it with you know things like flour and sugar and you know let it caramelize for a little bit. That's yeah. as tasty as that is. It's... It, I will say though that I did make one roasted sweet potato recipe once, and all it was mm-hmm. was uh, salt, a little bit of salt and pepper for seasoning, and then some honey. That's Ooh. all it was. And it was, fen- I think I put some cinnamon on it because cinnamon, you know, and nutritionally it's neutral. So, you know, you can't really, and there's good things in it too. It was fantastic. It was sure. amazing. Now, obviously that first Thanksgiving, they, they were not baking pies. Uh, not until about 50 years later. And and with that, we do find the invention of the pumpkin pie. So we do find that, that coming in. Uh, first pumpkins were probably boiled or stewed or what have you and served sure. around the table uh, in that fashion. But just 50 years later, the pumpkin pie was invented. I got to say, so far that 50 years later for the next for that first Thanksgiving, 50 years later, sounds way better than the very first one. Because all these fantastic uh, staples, the cranberry sauce and the pumpkin pie, they were all invented. You, you know, there had to be at least one person, one holdover from that first Thanksgiving. He was just sick of everything they were having yeah. over and over again. <laughs> I have to eat one more oyster. <laughs> well, you know what? They probably would have been gotten sick of uh, corn. Mm. Uh, the corn that they had, I mean, corn is, uh, for those who don't know the entomology of corn, it is native to North America. Uh, right. ter- the term corn is, is not. The term no, corn that's is, British. A, is a British term for grain. Um, but they saw... What they thought looked like uh, like a wheat stock, stock, yeah. but it turns out it was much bigger than that. And uh, they just mislabeled it corn, kind of like how they mislabeled turkey, and we'll get to that in a second. And what they would do is they would cut the kernels off the cob and turn it into kind of a mushy porridge kind of pudding thing, which they may have sweetened with molasses or maple syrup, more than likely molasses, if at all. And uh, they just kind of had that. I'm guessing it was just kind of a filler more than anything. That sounds like British food, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which has gotten a lot better in recent times. Yes, very yeah. true. Yes. So we have kind of all the staples knocked out, except for the big one, right? Turkey. Because Turkey, we know there's a country named Turkey. So which drives its name first, the country or the bird? Wait, is this is this kind of like a chicken or the egg kind of question? Exactly. Which came first, the country or the bird? Ooh. Um, I'm going to say bird i'm going with country i don't know i I feel i'd feel wrong going with bird you're probably right what is it it's the country damn it really seriously why so okay my opinion of european colonialism is kind of negative i will say um i say that of course and i'm an irish catholic you know descended from immigrants four generations ago so i can't really be that angry about it but that being said the english did a lot of stupid things when they came to this country one of them was mislabel a lot of crap there are um what they called guinea fowl, which are, you know, small birds similar looking to turkeys, but different, uh, that were migrated from the Middle East to Europe through Turkey. Turkey. There you go, through Turkey. So therefore, these fowl had also gotten the name turkey hens or turkey fowl. The English saw these and mislabeled them. Thought, oh, see, this is the, this is like home. See, they have they have turkeys here. They have they have turkey fowl here. And thus the wild turkey was born. 
Uh, I'm sure the Native American name for it is probably a lot more interesting, and I don't have that prepared for me, unfortunately. And they were plentiful. They were a, a food that was eaten by the natives, uh, roasted the same way. And uh, wild turkey, as it turns out, can actually fly. Domesticated turkeys cannot. They've been bred to not be able to do that. So, it's because they're really, really bad at flying. Yeah, they are. They're, they can only fly very short distances because they're kind of bottom-heavy, let's be honest. Um, no, the real reason is because they're extremely fat because we breed them to be as fat as possible so we get these gigantic, huge birds on our table when we uh, when we sit down for a Thanksgiving meal. Actual turkeys were, were much leaner little little creatures. They had much smaller serving plates back then, you see, so they, they had to accommodate. Yes, and they also didn't use forks either. They would eat the turkey with their bare hands. They would have napkins for wiping their fingers, but it was pretty much done. Nope, nope. They didn't even have napkins. That's the uh, the reason for the domesticated dog. <laughs> Few people realize that the original domesticated dog was created as a place to wipe your hands clean. It would sit right next to you, <laughs> waiting for scraps, and you just keep wiping your hands, cleaning your hands off, and that has uh, that has a tradition that cont- has continued. One that I keep alive in my house. You don't have a dog, Eric. I had a dog. <laughs> It starved to death because you were putting all the food on its fur instead of its mouth. <laughs> he actually developed arthritis of the neck because he kept turning around trying to lick himself. It was, <laughs> it was actually kind of sad. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, PETA supporters, please, that was a joke. Don't harass me. I, I would never do that to a poor dog. But you see, the lesson goes, don't pet your dog. With dirty hands. There you go. <laughs> so where, where are we at this point? We're still talking about the misnomer of the turkey, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, one thing that has been a modern food, I don't know if you would call this an innovation, Kay, but like just in quotes, maybe innovation. Yeah, definitely with air quotes. Uh, foodovation uh, is the uh, introduction of the turducken. Which, oh, the turducken. The turducken, right. For those who do not know what a turducken is. Wait, is it turducken or turducken? Turduck. Turducken. No oh, end. I've been saying it wrong. No middle, all no these middle years end. Yeah. See, look at this. First, we have the British colonialists messing up the name Turkey. Now, now you're me. messing up. You're now you're messing up Turducken. I, I just, guys, I, I quit. Eric Brickmont, worse than Hitler. So there we go. <laughs> wow, <laughs> so much love on this Thanksgiving. <laughs> Uh, okay. isn't, wait, isn't that what holidays are for? It's a lot of strife and, and infighting amongst family and friends. What is a family, family gathering friends? if it, there's not you no know, malicious insults that are thrown out in open air? That's true. To, you took your face, at least. See, at least your back's not turned, because that would make things way worse. At least I insult you in your presence. And also, you might wipe your hands on his back, and that would just that would be terrible. <laughs> exactly. Great, so now I'm the family dog as well. This is as we descend further and further. Indeed. Um, so tell me, tell me more about this modern phenomena that is the turducken. So if you haven't heard of what a turducken is, uh, it is it is both disgusting and ingenious at the same time. So the goal is you start with a, uh, a, with, a whole, with a whole chicken. Oh, um, whole we're, chicken. we're gonna do we're gonna invert it. We're gonna go from the inside and work your way out. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. It is a whole chicken that has been covered in the coating of stuffing. Okay. And then on top of that is a the outer workings of a duck that has had its uh, spine removed pretty much it's pretty much just the wings and the flesh of uh, the backside mm. put on then and only then <laughs> another layer of stuffing and then uh similar thing done with the turkey the wings and the legs are intact but the spine and uh the breasts have been all it's all been kind of loosened up so it's kind of like a so did a they coat. kind of oh okay so they kind of surgically cut it open and then and then kind of wrap it all around yes yeah because there's no way to actually get it through that cavity i mean that's just Correct. not possible and, if, and then then you tie it together um, and, you know, if you're a clever enough cook, you make it look like what would have been a fully roasted turkey, but in fact, it's just meat and stuffing 
layers of meat and stuffing if you cut it right. So it's essentially Frankenstein's monster made out of fowl, but delicious. But you know what? They could do better. They could do a lot better, and I think we have an, a, a competitor for this. So I think they're they're thinking too small is what the answer is. Yeah, you know, we, we, we sat down and we, we had a focus group, uh, and we learned some fascinating results. And we thought, we as Nerdonomy, it's our responsibility, really, to bring this to the world. Uh, and we encourage as many of you out there as possible who have the funds in which to do this to to do it. And then, of course... Um, Send your photos to Nerdonomy. So please, so, so please Brian, do so. Let's 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 first do this. Let's walk through it creature by creature at a time. Indeed, we're going to go reverse now. We're going to go big to small this time. Right. So first of all, uh, we know it's not physically possible, but if you have access to billions of dollars of genetic research, we recommend finding and making a Velociraptor. Yeah, and starting there, and and, and go with uh, one of the larger varieties because because you're going to need them. The the, the the traditional Velociraptor is actually pretty small, and so there you, is some science to support this. There's some paleontologists who know uh, think the Velociraptors were in fact feathered, not scaled, so they actually were kind of like these prehistoric giant birds. birds. Yeah, so doesn't actually stand that far out from from the truth. From there. When we bridge the gap back into reality, where most of you will be starting, we begin with an ostrich. Exactly. Yes. As one does. As one does, yes. Pretty realistic to me. And then we work our way within with an emu. Yes. Okay. And again, stuffing in between. So, and then we finally get to the turkey. Okay. But we don't stop there. No, 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 oh, no. 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 We do not go to duck and from here. No, no, no. No. Next we do a swan. Then we do a goose or a peahen, depending on where, pea or peacock, but peacock, no, 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 peahen, um, depending on what part of the world you're from. If you want to go for something exotic, please defeather it before you do so. Although, save the feathers, because they do make for an absolutely lovely uh, table decoration as, oh, you, as totally. you bring it out. Absolutely. Are you kidding me? And then we go into the duck. We finally make our way to the duck, the mid-sized bird, if you will. And thankfully so, because it is the greasiest of them all, therefore uh, allows it to kind of slip in uh, m- much easier. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like the Chevy Blazer of uh, of birds. So uh, anyway, then we get into uh, our good old friend, the chicken, right? But we, again, we don't stop there. We keep going. Then we do quail, okay? Quails are nice small birds, right? Um, we may have to do switch these two around, but then we would go, if we have room, we'd fit in a pigeon. Yeah, no, I think the pigeon, if you got a small enough one, could could fit in the quail. If, if depending on where you are in the world, and you tend to have uh, one that outweighs the other, feel free to just switch. You might around. have to go for a young one, one that hasn't fully matured yet. If you're, if you're in yet. New York City, you're going to need to go with pigeon first. I'm just going to put that out. If there. you're yeah. in New York City, you might have to substitute the turkey with pigeon. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll have to boil the pigeon first just to make sure it's clean. Because dear God, so um, we can go two ways at this point. Um, you can go with any of your regional small birds that you like. We find the blue jay is nice, uh, the cardinal even. But we decided, you know what? One that's universal is the canary. That's right. It's it's really the classiest of all of the options if you think about Super it. Super popular among house cats, as we all might be aware. Yeah, and you know, and it makes for finally stuffing the bird much, much easier because you only need about uh, two-thirds of a teaspoon to actually fill the canary. So it, it just the final stuffing process just becomes easier as a result of totally. all of this. It, and it's really spectacular when you see it done. It's, it's really astounding. And so we have the name for it. You, when you create this feast of fowl and you want to give it to your family, they say, well, what is this culinary masterpiece? Well, you can say, well, it is the Ostaemu Turquan Guducan Quipigenary. It just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? It does. And you know, it's so easy to say, so easy to create. Just keep in mind that uh, we do ask our listeners who have extraordinarily large ovens 
um, to to please uh, donate their time to to other listeners who don't who want to want to invest in this. If you if you if you we think actually you should make a fire pit actually fire pit or a large kiln. A large um, kiln would yeah, also if, work. If you could build one about the size of a garage, if that you have would access be to an adobe, you might want to make an adobe domed oven because those cook the bird really fast. Yeah, but it, you have to it, seal it shut. Though. Yeah, it, it it takes in that case only about uh, what about four or five days? No, actually ninety minutes. Oh, seriously? Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, that is yeah. fast. That's way faster than the one I got. All right, uh, totally. Nope, <laughs> dude, these things are awesome. So, yeah, and you know what? Let's count the meats. There, we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight meats in there. You know what? One for each night of Hanukkah. Hanukkah? Oh, oh, oh. The cold open finally makes complete and total sense now. Thank you. Really? You're just now getting it? God, you guys are so mean <laughs> See, to me this episode. Every single week. And I keep tuning in. I don't know, guys. What is it about the holidays? What does it bring out in people? You guys are Eventually, you're just going to start listening to the Nerdist and then just leave us behind. It's going to happen. I know. And it, well, it's okay. Okay, let's accept it and move on. And move on. Yeah. Pretty unique. Um, this has only happened one other time, right? That Thanksgiving and Hanukkah are around the same week, really. At least in recorded history and since the invention of Hanukkah. Right. Yes. Right. The last time that it happened, and it was fairly recent if we're looking at it in terms of history, right? Uh, 1888 was the last occurrence of uh, Hanukkah and Thanksgiving starting on the same day. However, at that point in time, Hanukkah had, or sorry, Thanksgiving had not been formalized as a holiday nationwide yet. That's right. So everybody was celebrating it at the same time uh, or in the same place even. But this is like the first time where officially two major holidays collide and so guys whatever you do do not sleep through this one make sure you celebrate because if you happen to miss it for whatever reason you will have to wait another seventy-seven thousand seven hundred ninety-eight years we weren't kidding no we weren't (laughs) (laughs) and if you do encounter a giant tofu monster i suggest you run the other way i was gonna make the joke what year is it this is is that in the hebrew calendar (laughs) (laughs) Because in the Hebrew calendar, it's like the year 58-something, 58, like 40-something. Well, it depends, because the Hebrew calendar changes in length. So it it kind of alters itself, right? Uh, No, I I think it's the same length. It's just that... uh I have to look it up. <laughs> you guys asked uh, probably the worst Jew in California to represent... Uh... That's right. Oh, my God. <laughs> Kyla is Jewish. I am. I am. Oh, I... Wait, now the guest host makes sense. <laughs> what is going on tonight? If you literally were any slower, you'd be moving backwards. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, um, I am, as I always joke, I'm Jewish, you know. Um, Jewish. Ish, Jew-ish. you know. Um, my, my grandparents on my father's side were Holocaust survivors, and my aunt on my mother's side is a rabbi, so, you know, I, I do come by it pretty honestly. Um, I was raised in the most Jewish city in South Florida, um, but that being said, I was not really raised with a, a sense of religious fervor or um, religious so, tradition. Yeah, you're more so. culturally Jewish than yeah. religiously. I I like to watch Mel Brooks movies. Um, <laughs> um, I, and Woody Allen, of course. I was just going to say, I'm a big fan of Woody Allen. I, I lived in New York City for a time. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I do have some connection. I'm just, I, I skipped Hebrew school. I was given the option, uh, you know, Sunday morning I could watch cartoons or I could go to Hebrew school. And I did what any sane 10-year-old would do, is make the obvious choice, Looney Tunes. So I think any kid in that situation, if, if I was a young Catholic kid, and I was, and I had to pick between watching cartoons or going to church uh, cartoons, win every time. Exactly. See, so I'm agnostic, 
So I didn't have a choice. I just watched cartoons instead. Or watch, you can watch cartoons or you can watch cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> you poor child. You can watch cartoons or you could just, you know, be aware of everyone else's religion and just be aware of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I was I was very lucky though. My parents, you know, were respectful of my own desires. And, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I kind of wish that I had respected my religion a little bit more. Um, so I would know, I would have a little bit more of a connection with it. This is your redemption. It is. It is. Nerds on History has given me your my own little, redemption. Your own little Yom Kippur, your own little Day, day of Atonement. So. <laughs> there we go. It's Jewish Redemption Night here on Nerds on yeah. History. Well, I feel kind of a kinship because she's Jewish, and I'm an Irish Catholic former step-Jew, so I feel like the connection is... It's there. Completely in the name only. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I will say, um, one of the cool things, uh, now that you mentioned redemption, uh, we always talk about Hanukkah, I say we always talk about Hanukkah as the festival of lights, right? I don't know if you guys always talk about it that way, but I do. Um, I learned something new. It's also a festival of rededication. Hmm. So, In what way? Uh, well, uh, for those of you who don't know the story of Hanukkah, I will give you a brief little... Probably a good thing to do, <laughs> yeah, considering a, we're talking about the history. The of history it, yeah. of Hanukkah. Um, yeah, so basically, the, uh, the kid who skipped Sunday school version, uh, there's the... This, uh, this guy, right, you know, he's a Greek living in Syria, um, not so nice, kind of a dictator, Antiochus IV. And, uh, Emphasis on the first syllable more than on the second syllable. Is it? Uh, well, he's a dictator, so he was oh, not nice. Yes, so got it. Uh, oh, God, so now I'm the one making the bad jokes. Here we go. <laughs> and again, the hate comes my way. Thank you so much. It's all right. I'm sorry, guys. It all just goes right over my head. But so anyway, so we have this wonderful dictator who is just doing his thing, ruling over the the Jews who are in uh, in this area at the time. And uh, the Jews are in a little bit of a civil war. They're having some internal dispute. And of course, when you've got a civil war going on, what better time to swoop in and wreak havoc? So uh, he swoops in and takes over their temple. And which is about the worst thing you could have done at that point in oh, time. Oh, no, he gets worse. Yeah. He slaughtered some pigs in their temple, which I don't know if you guys are aware of this. That's kind of not kosher. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'd say so. So the temple's desecrated. It's, you know, taken over. It's bad news bears. And um, <laughs> <laughs> But, of course, when in times of civil war, a uh, outside force comes in, Right. What happens? It sometimes forces the people to come back together. And they do so under uh, a fighter by the name of Judah Maccabee, um, who rises up and helps defeat this wonderfully horrible dictator. And they take the temple back and rededicate it. So that's the that's the super cliff notes version. Um but the whole thing is, you know, this temple has been desecrated. Um, this war that goes on has completely depleted all of their oil stores, which, you know, back in those days, we didn't really read by the light of our iPads. We had to light candles. Um, and candles, as many of you may know, are kind of a big deal in the Jewish tradition because on the Sabbath, we light them. We say the prayers. You know, so we're running low on oil. And they go into the temple and they have enough oil for one night and they light the menorah, which, um, just a little differentiator for you guys, a menorah actually only has... Uh, seven, right? Yeah, seven, um, with an eighth in the center, the, sh the shamish. But the one that we use for Hanukkah is uh, actually called a Hanukkiah because it has eight. One to commemorate each of the eight days that the candles burned. 
Ah. So that's, in, in fact, the miracle behind Hanukkah is that the oil lasted eight nights. Instead not, of one. Instead of not one. So Correct. So we've got this temple rededicated, and now we have the miracle of light. And this is really important, too, because just the symbolism behind the number eight. Um, in Judaism, seven is repeatedly referred to as a number of completeness. I mean, obviously, there are seven days in the the creation story. They also talk about uh, seven times seven is 49, which is 49 is also an important number. There's another Jewish holiday that's seven days of fasting, isn't there? There's another important Jewish holiday. Well, Rosh Hashanah involves some fasting, but um, that's more toward Yom Kippur, though. Yeah, actually, Yom Kippur is the day uh, that we fast. We fast for for a day. Um, So, yeah, um, so Sukkot... uh, is the one that comes after that, um, and that's actually a celebration of food. Oh. Um, so, yeah. So, one of the interesting things, so in our country, right, we're sitting here in America, but in, you know, most of the, the westernized world, we, we recognize Hanukkah right now as, like, a big holiday, right? It's around the same time as Christmas or <coughs> Thanksgiving, um, <laughs> right? But it's, like, this, this present-giving holiday that everybody celebrates, and it must be a big deal. But actually, Hanukkah is kind of a minor holiday, it's not even part of the Bible, the the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the five books. Um, this is something that happened way later. It was about 167 BC. 166, something around there, I yeah. think, yeah. So kind of a late entry to the holiday uh, canon, if you will. It, it's kind of the the Jewish equivalent of Cinco de Mayo in America. Yeah. In many ways, because we talked about this in our in our previous episode, our History of Mexico, that Cinco de Mayo, which is the the celebration of the battle over the, over the French uh, in, in the area of Puebla. This is a minor, minor holiday in Mexico. Like Kids don't even get it off of school. It's not, it's not a huge thing. There's only certain yeah. areas where it's really celebrated. Uh, but in America, the Mexican-American culture has taken it as a symbol of their, of their heritage and have turned it into this really big phenomenon. Yeah, as that tends to happen, yeah. And when you think about it in the term of Jewish history, uh, by this point, the Jews in Israel had already been, I think they'd already been to one or two diasporas. And I think it would, they'd been to for, for sure through one because they had gone into Babylonia and then they had migrated back into the Holy Land at this point. So there have been other holidays that carry more importance that signified those events other than this. Right. And, you know, I mean, the, the big thing is like the, the really big holidays, uh, you know, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, these are very religious, very uh institutionalized holidays that that really are are terribly significant for everyone who is of, you know, Jewish descent. Um, Sure. Hanukkah, on the other hand, hasn't really come into um, modern parlance as something that we would celebrate until you started getting a lot of immigrants into America um, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and um, it really picked up steam, you know, towards the 1930s and on. Well, I, I can imagine. I mean, if you look at Europe in the 19th and 20th century, Jewish persecution is, of course, happening all over the place. Sure. And this is not something that started with the Nazis. The Nazis took it to a, an extreme. Yeah. This is something that's been going on for a while. So I can imagine those immigrants coming over would would look at a holiday like this a holiday where essentially people are trying to survive on, on practically nothing, who are more or less being forced out of sight, mm-hmm. uh, and see the parallels between this and the persecution of the Jews that was going on in, in modern Europe. And for anyone who, by a miracle, survived through the Holocaust, uh, or those individuals who were hidden uh, from from sight, who were hidden away so that they could, they could survive this whole event... I can see the parallels, mm-hmm. and I can see where that connection is so strong. Well, so, and what's really interesting um, is that, so 
if you look at the par- like the actual parallels, um, so you know all this bad stuff was going down in Syria. Right when the the Jews were were dealing with uh, Antiochus, and um, when the Maccabees were rising up to fight, you know this was a time when the Jews had been persecuted and were being forced to assimilate. And so part of the reason for that civil war was part. Some of the Jews were like, "All right, listen, we're going to just assimilate into this Hellenistic culture. We're going to put aside some of our our traditions because we don't want to die." And then there was also um, the other faction uh, that was like. No, <laughs> we're going to hold on to this at all costs. So Hanukkah, in a lot of ways, signifies uh, the Jewish people rebelling against the idea of assimilation. And then you get this culture uh, who comes over in the late 1800s, early 1900s, who's sitting around going, all right, you know, my kids are watching all these other kids opening presents on Christmas. And they yeah. want to do the same thing, too. And they want to be a part of this Christmas tradition. But that's not my people. That's not my culture. That's not my nationality. And I don't want to let go of that. Sure. And so what happens at the exact same time or generally the exact same time, depending on, you know, where you are in history, I guess. Um, well, Hanukkah is a pretty cool holiday. It's got eight days. And we can... You can adapt it. We can adapt it. I mean, you know, originally on Hanukkah, there is uh, the idea of, of exchanging money or small gifts um, the idea of Hanukkah gelt, if you guys have seen those in those like little mesh baggies, the chocolates, uh-huh. they, gelt is, is money. So, um, you know, now that just kind of symbolizes it, but it's just been adapted into Hanukkah symbolism for America. But now we, we give gifts as well. Now it's our holiday and we don't have to necessarily put presents under a tree. I just want to say I find it delightfully ironic that America has really assimilated to Hanukkah. And I, I see where you're going with that, but it's so fascinating how, how America has really embraced Hanukkah and now included it as as part of this uh, tradition within the the holiday yeah. time. You know, we and don't yet, we don't call it Christmas holiday any longer. We we call it the, the holiday, holiday season. Yeah. And yet, it's interesting too because you said it was the late 1800s that they started having, mm-hmm. which is I find fascinating because that is when we start to see Christmas start to take on the form of celebration that we get to that we know of it as of today. So it's. Pretty much, I mean, it's interesting how the two really do go kind of hand in hand. Absolutely. Well, I mean, and I think it's really interesting just to kind of tie it to Eric's point as well. A lot of these holidays, right, this holiday season has become very commercialized. Mm -hmm. And it's been growing, you know, picking up steam, obviously, in the last couple of years. But it's been growing since the late 1800s. And that commercial culture is something that is very, very deeply embedded in American culture as well. Um, the capitalistic culture, the the present-giving culture, the the showing and sharing of wealth, right? And so I think, I think that's something interesting to point out as well. Absolutely. So I think a big question on some of our listeners' minds might be, despite its amazing ability to overcome thousand-foot blobs of sentient tofu, where does the dreidel come in? Interesting question. Um, so a dreidel is uh, a gambling game, right? It's got uh, it's played with a little uh, square top, the square four sides, right? Um, each side signifies uh, a different amount of whatever it is, small, you know, uh, pennies, M and M's, or what gelt, whatever you're playing with, uh, how much you put into the pot or take out, and there are no. Um, you know, really uh, solid sources that say this, but most anecdotal evidence points to the idea of religious persecution inspiring this game. So um, if Jews were sitting around studying the Torah, they could be persecuted for that because, again, if you're being forced to assimilate into a society, sitting and reading your own 
uh, religious holy book is probably not going to be a good idea. You might kind of stand out a bit. Exactly. So, um, somebody comes by while you're reading the Torah, you can pull out your dreidel and look like you're gambling because gambling wasn't illegal, but reading the Torah was. So you can play this little game, you know, spin the top, put some coins in, take some coins out, and there you go. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Kind of looks like a, a Jewish version of craps, yeah. in, in a way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a very, I wouldn't say it's the most stimulating game of all time, but if you're, play, <laughs> if you're playing with high stakes, I don't know. Um, but basically the four sides uh, of the dreidel, uh, gimel, as you know, that means all. So uh, that's when you get everything in the pot. Um, and none, you get nothing. Um, and uh, the other two sides are, uh, I have to look it up. Hold on. Can you cut this part? Uh, why do I always forget the names? Uh, Shin and... <sighs> I'm the worst Jew ever. Shin and thigh. <laughs> no, no. Um, none, Gimel... It says hey. Oh, yeah, it is hey. Okay, sorry. Hey. Um, but I just want to make sure that I have the right thing. I'm sorry. Da, 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 da. Take yeah. your time. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, we're, we're still yeah. on? Yeah. Oh, great. Um, yes, yeah, so, okay, so the four sides uh, on the dreidel uh, stand for uh, gimel, which is all, none, none, hey, which is half, and shin is you put one into the pot. And that's it. That's the whole game. So, so what you're trying to tell me is that this holiday consists of multiple days of being fed amazing food. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to interject, if you're in uh, America, usually it's uh, latkes. And if you're in Israel, it's usually uh, jelly donuts. Okay, even better. So you're telling me we have days, <laughs> multiple days of being fed not just food, but fried food and jelly donuts. And the significance, fried food, oil. There's a tie-in. Oh my god, that is genius. Quite. There's money being given out, candy, mm-hmm. and gambling. Ladies and gentlemen, this Eric is the best Brickmont, holiday ever. <laughs> Eric Brickmont has chosen a religion. <laughs> um, I hate to break it to you, but you're going to have to go through a couple of hoops to get uh, to get uh, added to the flock. Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Brickmont has chosen to be invited to somebody's Hanukkah festivities. <laughs> That's a big thing for me, though. Any religious festivity. Hey, this is the one I'm going to. That, yeah, that's true. And uh, I think the thing that you're referring to, Kyla, is uh, well, circumcision. Um, there's that. Uh, yeah, there's um, that. But no, when you're when you're actually uh, when you when you want to become a Jew, it's not just you can't just be like, hey, I'm Jewish. They they put you through the ringer. Yeah, you have to go through a long study process. Sure. Yeah. What I do want to uh, talk about real quick is the significance of the number eight because. You don't see it very much, but there are a couple times where it comes up. One is, interestingly enough, another time is, of course, during Hanukkah, but one is also eight days uh, is a day of circumcision uh, after a child is born. And, you know, that's an important thing because you're talking about, you know, keeping the covenant with, with, with God. So there is a certain sacred connotation to the, the number eight. It's also immediately following seven, which is uh, the, the Sabbath day, right? So uh, it does have other symbolism to it other than just the actual events taking place that did so well i i also believe that the the original uh, origin of the joke why was uh six afraid of seven uh of course has its origins in, in ancient hebrew so it makes perfect sense mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. No, i'll allow it i'll allow it <laughs> okay well you know what since we're talking about this this holiday time uh it usually brings up lots of warm family memories so 
Actually, can you share with us what is your favorite Hanukkah slash, so it's more of an and or, uh, your favorite Hanukkah and or Thanksgiving memory? Yeah, so, you know, as I said, um, I was not raised very religious, so Hanukkah for me was more um, lighting the electric menorah. <laughs> not kidding. Um, I'm sorry, guys, I'm, I'm not your, your best representative. Uh, was it on a timer? No, no. So it didn't just automatically populate each one. Right. You had to you like... had to twist the little light bulb to turn it on, kind of like with the Christmas tree lights. You know, you have to ah, twist it yeah. as it turns on. They should so make basically, some timers. Yeah. So basically, just the the bulbs are loose, and you just squeeze. You just yep. Screw them in. <laughs> you screw wow. them in one at a time. So, um, I mean, you know, joking aside, my stepfather for many years, because. Uh, He's no longer with my mom, but, um, you know, was Christian. So we actually had a dual household for many, many years. And it was really cool to introduce my stepsisters at the time, who were much younger, to the Hanukkah tradition. So we actually did have menorahs. We each had our own, and we each got to light them. So that was really cool. But Hanukkah was never, for me, like a big holiday. Uh, to be honest, Thanksgiving was always my favorite holiday. The reason also, partially because Thanksgiving and my birthday tend to fall in the same time. That is very true. Yes. So my birthday is this weekend. Um, Happy birthday. Or will have been just this past weekend. That's by the time true. It gets released. Yeah. Because yeah. we, we podcast from the future because right. we have a TARDIS. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, but my favorite Thanksgiving was my third birthday, which was the first time that my birthday fell on Thanksgiving. And it snowed. I lived in New York at the time. And I oh, can wow. tell you, yeah, I was three years old and I remember every single detail from that day, from the strange wooden parrot that my Oma, my grandmother, got for me. Um, yes, and I held on to it for many years, and I don't know why, um, to the fact that uh, my parents took me outside, um, we went sledding, and then I asked my dad to make me a snow mermaid, and instead he made me a snow whale. <laughs> and we picked berries off a tree, um, I remember, because again, this is New York, so we're you know, on the East Coast, we had some berries on a tree, and I used that to make the eyes and the nose and the mouth on the whale. Um, yeah, I can tell you pretty much every detail from that day, and it is, I, I mean, I was three years old, and it's one of my fondest memories, but, uh, you know, so it was, it was a very special birthday for me. That's awesome. Wow. That's really awesome. Um, do, you, do you mind? Please. Um, so I, I have two. So um, one is, it's a joke, but it's actually not a joke. My stepmom was Jewish for many years and culturally you can't escape it no mm -hmm. if you convert religion you're still jewish but she's she's now catholic uh, religiously uh, she came into our lives when i was about 10 years old and she wanted to introduce us to those those traditions too so she we got the menorah she we had a little corner we had our, we had our christmas like decorations everywhere else we had one little corner devoted to hanukkah and uh the first couple of years we were really into it and then it just kind of she assimilated and became part of the christmas thing um but we did light candle menorahs and she would say the prayers in hebrew with each of the the candles being lit and uh we did do a hanukkah seder ish meal which was amazing because that was the first time we had been introduced to latkes and uh you don't get the mash that's one you don't get the mix that is ridiculous no you make you shred the potatoes and you do it from there because there is nothing like that it is the best and of course, it's no served traditionally with sour cream and applesauce, kind of a weird combination. But it uh, oddly enough works, really does. So I just remember those because it was really cool to to get immersed in a different type of cultural practice. Um, for Thanksgiving, though, I would probably say it was last year's because it was the one where it was the last one where my grandmother was was with us, and it was a very emotional one. We all kind of knew it, but it was also just it was a very good day. 
you know, and that will probably be the one Thanksgiving that will stick with me for the rest of my life. So I brought it down. I'm sorry. I brought no, that's it, okay. I, you're just going to make me look like a heartless bastard because I have like <laughs> nothing. Uh, you're, the, you're the Ebenezer Scrooge of Thanksgiving at this point. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, here's my Jewish connection. I, I joke that I'm not Jewish, but my grandmother thinks I am. And <laughs> I, it's a strange there's, there's joke. A story but, there. Yeah. No, apparently there is a, a relative somewhere on my mother's side back uh, a while back. I don't even remember how many generations ago it was, but uh, who was Jewish, uh, who, who married into the family. And uh, I remember that was kind of a, a big thing when we found out about it a couple of years ago. And I remember my grandmother was very excited about it. And that's just kind of the, the ongoing joke. She doesn't actually think that we're Jewish. I mean, that's you got to do, like you said, a little bit more than that. But isn't it also kind of somewhat passed down on the maternal line? So, mm-hmm. so exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm not Jewish, but grandma might think I am. Um, I will say that for Thanksgiving, the the one thing that always stands out, and not so much that I have like a really specific story. I mean, we we always got together as a family. My my grandparents lived directly next door to me, so I have many fond memories of my grandparents either coming over to my house or we walked right next door over to their house, and we would always have a, a Thanksgiving dinner in one of our two dining rooms. Uh, but for me, it was my mom, and she still continues this tradition to this day. She always does a little decoration, like like she she's not Martha Stewart, but she's like um, if if there was kind of like the knockoff uh, show on the reality channel right next to the one that Martha Stewart owned, that would kind of be mom. She's a preschool teacher, so she's got all these arts and crafts skills and capabilities, but she doesn't really go all out. She just does it like once a year, and she does it just on our little front porch. So she puts together like a little thing with turkeys and pumpkins and leaves and things like that. And I kid you not, it has probably been the exact same display for like 10 or 15 years. I don't think it's changed. And I love that. I love that about mom, that she always kind of keeps it the same. And it's it's not quite Thanksgiving or Christmas, for that matter, because she does another one for Christmas <laughs> until mom's got her little porch side display. And my kids, they love it. They recognize it now every year, too, that grandma went and put out all of her decorations. So that's what I got. I don't have any tearjerkers. That's fine. It doesn't have to be a tearjerker. It's sweet. It's sentimental. Absolutely. Um, and you know what? Why don't we do a little Hanukkah thing right now? So if you are of the Jewish faith... And you are about to light the menorah. Let's um, say the prayer that you say when you light each candle. Yes. So on um, this is the the prayer that you would say when you when you were actually lighting the candle uh, just before sundown. You would say, Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Kedeshanu B'Mitzvotav V'Tzivanu Lahadlik Ner Shel Hanukkah. And for the first night, in honor of the first night, you will also say, Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Shehigianu V'Hikimanu. Vihigianu Lazman Haze. And basically what you're doing when you say these prayers is you are thanking God, um, whatever, you know, perception of it, you know, guys, I know this is not a religious podcast, um, but uh, if you are of the Jewish faith, um, you're thanking God for uh, giving us the commandment to kindle light for Hanukkah and for giving us the ability to reach today. So, you know, I think it's uh, something to be thankful for, um, and that's why we say prayers. You're thankful for that you, that you're living, and you're thankful that you, you have come this far. That's great. That's, that's uh, a very important spiritual act, no matter what persuasion you're of, is saying thank you. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it really embodies the Thanksgiving holiday, if you think about it. Because if you've actually yeah. survived long enough to reach dinner, and you haven't killed each other, <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's a, just a perfect tie-in. 
There you go. There you have it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know what, folks? We've shared a lot of information for you tonight, but you know what? We're going to bring back an oldie but a goodie. Don't take our word for it. Absolutely not. Go ahead and uh, research the topic on your own. Find out some more information. There is tons and tons of literature that has been written, of course, both on Hanukkah and on Thanksgiving, the origins of such. And take this as an opportunity while you're sitting around the menorah or the turkey or both in this case. Mm -hmm. Uh, Go ahead and share some of that information that maybe you've learned tonight or you've been inspired to learn on your own. And uh, share that with some of your family at this time while you're while you're thankful for something. But why don't we point our listeners in the right direction? So, Kay, where, where was your uh, information derived from? Um, a lot of my uh, sources were uh, myjewishlearning.com, um, jewishencyclopedia.com. There are also some really fantastic articles recently published in, uh, fairly recently published uh, in NPR. Um, there is a uh, Hanukkah scholar who's uh, written a lot. Um, by the name of Diane Ashton. Uh, She's professor of American studies at Rowan University in New Jersey, but she uh, has done some good writing on Hanukkah as well. Great. And uh, for those who are interested in learning about Judaism in general, uh, Chabad.org, C-H-A-B-A-D, is a tremendous resource for all things kind of getting introduced to the culture and the faith of Judaism. So um, that's a good place to start as well. Yeah, you're interested in learning more about food. You can, of course, go to the Food Network and sit down and watch something for five minutes. You'll learn something. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we a lot of it is kind of a mishmash. Alton Brown is a tremendous resource for this. Uh, The Brown cast, uh, they literally just did an episode on this. Um, he's also done a couple episodes on Good Eats that were derived from the history of and the And if meal. you're interested in learning a little bit more about those traditional Thanksgiving foods, head over to foodtimeline.org. And uh, if you click on the American Thanksgiving link, you will see a wide variety of different uh, historical uh, little uh, tidbits here and there for each of your favorite of Thanksgiving foods. And uh, with that, guys, you know what? Happy Thanksgiving and happy Hanukkah. Happy Thanks Hanukkah. There you go. Happy Thanksika. Thanksika? No. no. What do we call it? Happy Thanksika, happy... we got to come up with something. All I know I there's know. one already out there, isn't there? Uh, there well, there's Chris Mahana Kwanzaa, but that's for like all the December holidays put into one. Exactly. And I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should just be thankful that this is the only time we have to worry about pronouncing it in our lifetimes. That's true. You can be pioneers for one day only. Uh, no, 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 no. Thanksgivinga. It was trademarked, turned into a Twitter account and a domain uh, by a 37-year-old marketing specialist from uh, the Boston area, Dana Gillette. And this was back in 2011 after seeing the calendar and realizing that this would eventually happen and happen only one time. We respectfully refer to your name. Please do not sue us. We do not have the money for a lawyer. Just know that we respect that you own the legal rights to that name and that we used it. So, uh, Kyla, thank you for being on the show again. We really appreciate it. Yeah. As always. Thank you, guys. always welcome. And I promise you right now and all of our listeners, it will not be another year that will go by before you are back on this podcast. You will be here in 2014, but the earlier half. I think I that sounds like it. a plan. Yeah, I guarantee it as well. And you know what, folks? If you uh, like this episode, please tell us. And if you want to send some Thanksgiving wishes, you can do so by going to our, our website, nerdonomy.com where you can find all of our social media uh, means of communicating with us. And you can also follow us on our personal Twitter accounts. I'm at Brian Moriarty. I am at The Brickmont. And Kay, do you want to share yours? I'm at Miss Skinny Jeans, G-E-N-E-S, because I count characters and not calories. Awesome. And uh, until next time, folks, stay nerdy, even when around your family. 
and tune in to us next week, same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com. Bye-bye! Johnny Turk days? That's weird!